Welcome to this week's bonus episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. In this episode, Associate Editor Dr. Robert Zeiser and Dr. Yi-Bin Chen discuss the series on how I manage high-risk patients following allogeneic hemopoietic cell transplantation. My name is Robert Seiser. I'm Associate Editor at Blood, and I work at Freiburg University Medical Center in Hematology and Stem Cell Transplantation. This um, How I Treat series is dedicated on how I manage high-risk patients following allogenic hematopoietic cell transplantation. The background is that for the majority of patients with acute mild leukemia and myelodysplastic syndrome, an allogenic hematopoietic cell transplantation, or short alloHCD, induces the highest remission rates and um, the greatest chance of cure. However, the success of allo-HCT is limited um, by post-transplant complications, in particular graft-versus-host disease and leukemia relapse. A fraction of patients has a particular high risk for such complications. We call them high-risk patients. It is important to find prophylactic and therapeutic intervention to improve the outcome of such high-risk patients which is the topic of this How I Treat series. So this How I Treat series describes the state of the art in the major recent developments in the management of prevention of relapse with cellular therapies or drug maintenance-based approaches and on graft-versus-host disease prophylaxis. The top goals of um, this um, review series uh, was to provide um, the reader um, an overview on the complications that cause mortality after allo transplant and um, to cover um, uh, the treatment options and the state-of-the-art as well as novel developments in the field of uh, relapse prevention and um, strategies to reduce the risk for acute graft-versus-host disease by, for example, post-transplant cyclophosphamide, but also other therapeutic or preventive um, measures. So this series includes three articles. Uh, The first article is by Dr. Reswani, from MD Anderson on the use of preemptive T-cell and K-cell transfer in patients with high-risk leukemia. Dr. Raswani has made major contributions to the field of CAR and K-cell therapy for the treatment of hematological malignancies. That is why she's an ideal author and highly qualified to write this article. Second um, article is by Dr. Chen um, from Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston on how I treat um, with maintenance therapy after allogenic stem cell transplantation. Dr. Chen um, has pioneered the work on the use of post-transplant maintenance therapy with uh, Zorafenib for patients with flix 3 idd positive AML. Therefore, he's highly qualified for this topic. And the third um, article is led by Leo Lutznik how to prevent GVHT in high-risk patients, post-transplant cyclophosphamide, and beyond. Dr. Lutznik has pioneered the work on the use of post-transplant cyclophosphamide. He developed the initial protocols, and meanwhile, it has become a standard therapy at um, many institutions worldwide, and therefore, Dr. Lutznik is highly qualified for this article. The articles of this um, How I Treat series work together as uh, the topic are interconnected. For example, relapse can be treated by cellular therapies, but also by maintenance therapy with um, with drugs that prevent the outgrowth of the leukemia. 
So the first um, article is dedicated to the use of preemptive T cell and and K cell transfer to prevent or treat relapse. Um, the background is that response rate of relapse, acute myeloid leukemia, and acute lymphoblastic uh, leukemia to um, cellular therapy, which are currently donor lymphocyte infusions, are relatively low. And the role of preemptive TLI upon detection of um, measurable disease, um, MRD, is unclear due to the lack of randomized studies. This challenge is discussed by Dr. Retzvani and Dr. Biederstedt, and uh, they outline novel approaches for post-transplant HCT cellular therapies, including the role of CAR T-cell and TCR, gene-modified T-cells. Additionally, um, they provide a a practical structure for the decision-making process, whether to use preemptive cellular therapy or not, for patients with high-risk leukemia. Besides these cellular therapy approaches, uh, drug-based maintenance therapy after ALOHCT has shown uh, very promising um, results in certain types of high-risk leukemia, which is the topic of the article by Dr. De Philippe and Dr. Chen. And the authors here discuss uh, risk factors um, that impact the decision to initiate maintenance therapy after allotransplant, including the biology of the leukemia, the patient's MRD status before and after allotransplant, and they take into account the intensity of the conditioning regimens. This information can help to guide the decision on the use of maintenance therapy um, for more selective treatments of patients high risk for relapse while sparing other patients. This article also connects common case scenarios with uh, currently available um, therapeutic agents. I already mentioned FLIT3 inhibitors, um, IDH1 and 2 inhibitors, BCL2 inhibitors, BCR-ABL1, tyrosine kinase inhibitors, and hypermethylating agents. And the third article by Lutz, Nick, and colleagues is dedicated to the emergence of new GVHD risk factors, including novel immunotherapies, prior and after allotransplants, the need for earlier um, cessation of immunosuppression, and the use of maintenance therapy in the post-allotransplant setting for patients at older uh, recipient age. And they provide strategies to cope with such high-risk um, GVHD constellations, for example, using um, post-transplant cyclophosphamide, but also other GVHD prophylaxis approaches. So a major focus here is the success of uh, PTCY, but also its side effects and and the strategies that can be used to avoid side effects. The authors also illustrate the uh, use of PTCY um, by presenting representative uh, cases um, for GVHD um, prophylaxis and discuss combination approaches with Abadacept and uh, JAK inhibitors. I would like to talk with Dr. Yibing Chen on his article with the topic, How I Treat with Maintenance Therapy After Allogenic Hematopoietic Stem Cell Transplantation. Hi, my name is Yibing Chen. I'm the director of the Transplant and Cell Therapy Program at Massachusetts General Hospital. Thank you uh, for the invitation to write on what I think is a timely topic uh, for a lot of us in the field who struggle with the challenge every day in treating our patients You know, if you look at large series of patients with acute myeloid leukemia who undergo allogeneic hematopoietic cell transplantation, if you look at long-term outcomes, disease relapse remains the major cause of failure. And that's probably become the biggest challenge for our field going forward if we think about how we're going to cure more patients uh, and improve overall outcomes. 
my topic was to discuss how I use uh, maintenance therapies. Uh, this does not include cellular therapy, but more maintenance uh, drugs after allogeneic transplantation to try and prevent disease relapse. In the past, this wasn't so much of a reality or a practical thought because all we had was conventional chemotherapy in the past. And applying that after transplant where it would inherently cause additional cytopenias and immunosuppression could never be thought of as a realistic approach given the toxicities it would cause our patients. But in today's era where we have an increasing number of targeted therapies or therapies that work in novel ways that target specific pathways and have significantly less off-target toxicity, specifically less hematopoietic toxicity or uh, does not occur as much cumulative immunosuppression, uh, it's become a reality to truly think about can we apply these novel therapies after transplantation to try and prevent disease relapse. And so that's the overall topic of what I wrote about in terms of a few cases uh, that I thought would be practically useful for providers today with uh, certain agents that were commercially available. I think there's a lot of relevance, not only transplant practitioners, but hematologists and oncologists in the community as well who may not participate in the transplant process itself. You know, a lot of patients will leave the transplant center after transplantation and have longitudinal care with their primary hematologist or oncologist. And if we're applying maintenance therapies uh, after transplantation for the long run, and by that I mean many months to even years to prevent disease relapse, you know, such guidelines or sort of experience has a lot of relevance to the general hematology community in how to use these agents, what to watch out for, and what's the evidence behind it. In general, I think there are probably two takeaways. One is that the post-allogeneic transplant space is unique. It's unique because the bone marrow has much less reserve, and also it's unique because of the existence of graft-versus-host disease and this unique immunological environment that the post-transplant space is. And so anytime we think about adding interventions in that space, I think we have to carefully understand the downstream consequences or at least anticipate them and then conduct really well-planned clinical trials to make sure what we're doing is safe for our patients before we can even think about if it's going to be effective. So that's number one. I think the second takeaway is anytime we've thought, we as in those of us who are active in conducting these clinical trials, anytime we've thought about conducting these maintenance post-transplant trials, I think you realize that there's sort of three settings in the post-transplant arena where you can apply an intervention. One is for the treatment of, uh, you know, frank disease relapse, if the patient has already had disease relapse. The second is what I call preemptive therapy, you know, which is where the disease becomes minimally detectable, and that's becoming more relevant because of an increasing number of assays that can detect what we call MRD, either minimal or measurable residual disease. And then the third sort of space is just giving as maintenance, meaning you give all comers or you, you give all comers to prevent disease relapse. And if you think about which indication to apply your intervention to, you have to think about how your drug works or how your intervention works. You have to think about, do you have an accurate MRD assay? 
Uh, and do you have the time between MRD and relapse to actually apply your therapy and change things? And then lastly, you have to think about as you move your drug from treatment of relapse to preemptive to maintenance, you're inherently over-treating the number of patients who actually need your drug, right? And so your number needed to treat and realize a benefit is going up. And you have to take into account the toxicity of your intervention to figure out where exactly this intervention fits. So it's not as simple as just saying, I have a drug and let's just give it post-transplant, though sometimes I think uh, this field is somewhat phrased that way. But, but it's more about thinking, how can we do this safely and what's the right time to apply such an intervention? I think what Dr. Zeiser m- mentioned uh, first in terms of uh, maintenance FLT3 inhibitors after transplantation in, in the introduction, you know, I think that's that if there's one sort of maintenance intervention that has proved to be successful thus far, it is it is in that genotype of AML. Administering a FLT3 inhibitor after allogeneic transplantation has become the standard of care at many places across the country and the world, including our own. And that's that's based on early work we did using serafinib. And then, you know, on the strength of two randomized trials by colleagues, one one in Germany called the Sormain trial, and then the other, a phase three randomized trial in China, both showing pretty similar benefits to what our early experience had shown in a significantly decreased rate of relapse, uh, translating into much improved, not only leukemia-free, but overall survival. I mean, if you look at both of those series and our early sort of cohort studies, it looks like if you're in remission going into transplant and receive a maintenance TKI uh, for FLT3 AML, you can now expect a two-year leukemia-free survival of above 80%, whereas if you don't receive a maintenance inhibitor after transplantation, your two-year leukemia-free survival is right around 50 to 55%. Now, the caveat to all that is the majority of those patients did not receive a FLT3 TKI initially as part of their initial treatment. So how that plays in, we'll have to figure out. Uh, We've just completed accrual on an international phase three randomized trial, a collaborative trial between the BMT-CTN and Astellas, looking at the FLT3 inhibitor gilteritinib studied in a placebo-controlled way in about 343 patients that were randomized. And I think this is the most modern population we're going to see. And these results, uh, which we should see in the next year or so, are much eagerly anticipated and could result in the first regulatory approval in the United States uh, for a maintenance intervention after transplantation. Uh, but, you know, we'll have to see the results. You know, I think the FLT3 experience, we've we benefited from a few things. So what, one is that it's a relatively common mutation in the world of AML, present in about 30% of de novo cases. Two is that uh, it's a, it was or is, however you want to look at it, a high-risk mutation when it was described, uh, mainly characterized by high rates of disease relapse. And three, we had the accessibility of, to agents that inhibited FLT3. You know, so the early FLT3 inhibitors were actually developed uh, for other indications, and they just so happened to inhibit FLT3. Uh, and some had achieved commercial approval for other indications, such as serafinib, and thus we had access to those agents to do studies. And so all those uh, fortuitous events led us to be able to do those trials and studies to show the benefit. The last sort of bit of it is something Dr. Zeiser is very familiar with, is, is what we believe to be the mechanism of action of FLT3 inhibitors after transplantation for FLT3 AML. When we started this adventure, it was a bit uh, 
I can say it wasn't elegant. We, we had a high risk mutation, we had some drugs, and we thought it would be interesting to apply uh, the targeted agent after transplantation, probably describe the safety and learn from it. We didn't expect to see the resounding success that we did. And, you know, it led us to believe that there had to be some other mechanism of action besides direct cytotoxicity, mainly because most of us view the FLT3 ITD mutation as a relatively late mutation in leukemia genesis. And so if it was just inhibition of FLT3 and causing direct cytotoxicity, then theoretically, we should have started seeing much more relapse of FLT3 negative clones that emerge from earlier in the course of leukemia genesis. But, but in fact, we didn't. And that hasn't been an experience in the big serafinib trials or any of the other inhibitors that are being studied in large trials for maintenance. And a really elegant series of experiments from Dr. Zeiser's lab has suggested that if you, if you give a, I, he used serafinib, but now it's been validated with other FLT3 inhibitors, that if you give FLT3 inhibitors to a FLT3 ITD mutated AML cell, uh, what it does is that it causes autocrine secretion of IL-15 locally, and that appears to somehow metabolically reprogram localized CD8 positive T cells to reverse uh, an exhaustion phenotype and to preserve CD8 positive T cells locally, and thus probably enhance graft-versus-leukemia directly against these actual leukemia cells. So, you know, this was really a very elegant mechanism. It was validated uh, this past year by Dr. Tashima's lab with gilteritinib as well as crinolinib, other FLT3 inhibitors that are being studied. And I think if that ultimately proves to be the dominant mechanism of action of this maintenance intervention, we, we somehow stumbled upon the perfect maintenance therapy. It's a therapy that is not very toxic in terms of uh, counts or the immune system. It does not appear to induce significant amounts of graft-versus-host disease, yet is able to enhance graft-versus-leukemia selectively to FLT3-mutated cells. And so that series of fortuitous events, if you will, uh, has allowed us to enjoy the success that we've seen in FLT3-mutated patients. I am not sure if we're going to meet that success uh, in other uh, genotypes of AML for, for a lot of reasons. And, you know, the other cases that we present in the manuscript, specifically those with IDH1 or IDH2 mutated diseases, illustrate that. Those are less frequent mutations. We're unsure of the prognosis of those patients in general because for a variety of reasons, including a lot of co-mutations. And, you know, it's unclear if actually giving those agents as maintenance therapy will ultimately prove beneficial. I mean, those are studies that are ongoing now. We also stumbled about the mechanisms that we... IL-15 was one of the genes we found in the microarray. We, we didn't search for that, but it was one of the highest differentially expressed genes in the leukemia, ponzorafenib treatment and so on. Sometimes in science, you stumble about things and then it's good for the patients. I agree. You know, I mean, all of us had seen it clinically and also in publications, right? In the early use of serafinib after transplant for relapse by uh, Dr. Metzelder and colleagues had shown that there were some long-term survivors that none of us expected. And certainly those that he combined with serafinib plus donor lymphocyte infusions had shown a higher rate. And so there had to have been something immunological there. Uh, we were in our early phase one study, you know, that, that first ever serafinib maintenance study published for FLT3 disease, we were shocked by the success that we showed. We, we did not expect that at all. Um, and 
thought there had to be some other mechanism besides just direct cytotoxicity from the actual agent itself. But that, you know, that, that obviously motivated us and others to do the studies until Dr. Zeiser and colleagues elucidated this potential mechanism, uh, which is fascinating. Thank you very much uh, for listening and to our podcast, to Dr. Chen and myself. I hope that this um, How I Treat series highlights insights into novel therapeutic strategies for patients at high risk for relapse or graft-as-a-host disease after allo-HCT. And I hope that our major goals of this series um, to provide the treating physician with an overview on novel therapeutic targets that are either already approved or in clinical testing, help to offer optimal care for high-risk patients after allo transplant. Um, I thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy reading our How I Treat series. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of the Blood Podcast. To read these articles, visit bloodjournal.org. This episode is copyrighted by the American Society of Hematology.